It's the Suncast Podcast, covering the Sun Conference and all its sports. What's up, Suncast Nation? It's your boy Manny here, and gonna give you some Sun Conference hoops recap and preview as well as a jam-packed suncast episode we're also going to have reagan and steve talking about some sun conference baseball as the season is getting underway here a lot of teams in their kind of road trips right now but like i said i'm focusing right now on some sun conference basketball because i said it in the episode that came out tuesday when we when i recorded it was going to be a very important Wednesday. It was arguably going to be maybe the biggest day if certain things happen, and those things did indeed happen. So we're going to recap. We're going to, obviously, like we always do, we'll go through women's side first and the men's side, especially because I think the men's side, the the spice level was already on another on another planet, honestly, and it got even more so. Definitely in for a treat on that one, I will say. But like we always do, and especially at this time of the year, I'm going to always recap the standings as we stand today. Again, I'm recording this Friday night. So we'll be coming out Saturday morning, you know, starting your guys off, starting your weekend off with a good uh, dose of suncast. For the women's side right now, the St. Thomas Bobcats sit number one in the standings right now. Now they are tied in the conference record with southeastern after they dropped their last game and we'll get into that in a second here seven and two both teams uh bobcats do hold the better overall record so they right now sit at the number one spot then avi maria kaiser are now tied for the second spot avi maria technically or third spot excuse me avi maria third and kaiser fourth both teams again tied six and three in conference play then you've got the warner royals at fit right now four and five one game under 500 weber holding on to that final playoff spot and then coastal georgia and Florida memorial after them now, looking back at this past weekend, we're going to start, I'm going to go in order of, I think, the, the, the biggest takeaways from this, this past Wednesday night. And a big takeaway for me was the Warriors in this game. I like the way that they played, obviously, a nail-biter in overtime. Only three-point difference between them and the Coastal Georgia Mariners, 89-86. Big win for the Warriors on the road. Samantha Pacheco, definition of a workhorse, 45 minutes, five rebounds, eight assists, 22 points to lead her team. One of five, one of four other players to score in double figure scoring, all of them the starters. Big, big display there. And I, the biggest takeaway is that if this is the type of offense they're going to continue to have, and obviously some people might say, oh, well, they had extra time or, or what it might be. Yeah, but. At the same time, that even goes more to what I'm about to say. This offense has a possibility of continuing to be pretty solid. I know you don't have Jada Burgess. That's a big, big loss. But if you're able to have five players flirting with double-digit figure scorings, Samantha Pacheco is going to do what she does. You know, 7 to 17 shooting, 7 of 10 from the free from the free throw line. She's going to be a very, very efficient player. I mean, zero turnovers in 45 minutes is unbelievable. The biggest thing with them is obviously going to be keeping the offensive load as a whole, not so much focused on one player. Players like Gonclaves, Little, Klopas, they're going to have to definitely step in. Ross as well. I think that's going to be the, the biggest takeaway right now for this Weber team as they, again, hold on to that final spot. And while it's looking as they're going to be the final team in the playoffs right now, they do still have a chance of moving up. And if you can move up even one spot, sometimes that can be very, very good for not just the, the seating-wise, the playoffs, all, but your confidence, your mentality. And to understand that we got in there pretty safely, I think, is a big thing for them heading into the postseason. For Coastal, 
I said that I thought their best game of the season was against the Bobcats uh, last Saturday. I stand corrected. This might be their best game because you have 86 points. You have three quarters where you score 20 or more points. I think that they're turning a corner. It's just obviously timing is not on their side right now. They definitely need to start stringing together some some games. You know, the biggest thing for me is if their shooting can step up. I mean, 44% from the field is really good, but 33% from the three-point line, it can be a little dicey. And then 50% from the free throw line, you know, 11 to 22, that's really going to hurt you in a lot of these games. You know, their margin of error is very small, but again, they still have a chance. It's just not in their it's not in their hands, their destiny right now, which is a tough place to be, but you can only do what you, you can control, and that's go out there and try and win as many games as possible and give yourself the best chance. With that, we're going to move on to another team, another another game that I thought was very good because, again, I did have the Jireens winning, but I knew it was going to be a scrappy one. I knew that the Royals were going to come in and give them, you know, they've been playing the best basketball, I think, of the season right now. You know, you go on the road and you – only lose by eight. You know, I was keeping track of that game uh, for the most part, and it was always close. It never got too high. It never felt like it was getting too far away from the Royals. And, you know, you credit the fact that they had five starters in double-figure scoring as well uh, with Watson, Gerardo, Francis, Logan, and Edwards. They all played 30-plus minutes. The biggest thing with the Royals is the fact of depth. You know, how deep are they going to be able to go? Because when you've got your starter that played the least minutes was Courtney Long at 31, and then you've got 34, 36, 38, 37, you know, it's a lot. And credit them, that's how they've been winning games. So, obviously, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But that's going to obviously be the be the, the biggest thing when you go into playoffs. And, of course, playoff rotations are going to shrink. That's that's normal. But you still want to see how deep they can go if it's 6, 7, because that could be the difference in, in these games. You look at the Jirenes, they, again, continue to hold that middle, that top end of the middle right now in the middle of the pack with Maria Coleman, a big, big reason for that. 16 points, 5 rebounds. Four of eight shooting, just another efficient player in the conference right now. Shahan also chipped in 13, along with Humphreys, a 12 and 7 game for her. Then off the bench, you have Santa Cor and Smith with 13 and 12, respectively. I like how the Jirens are playing. You know, they're playing very good basketball. They're kind of on the opposite end of the Royals in the sense that they will play a lot of players, even if it's only for a minute. They are not scared to go deep into that bench, and that can always be a plus again, because when you go into playoffs, you never know. If that player that's deep in the rotation, deep in the bench, could be the one that chips in 10 points, you know, 13 points, 12 points by some bench players could be the difference in in a close win or even a close loss. So, you know, you see the gyring depth there for for me. I think, again, it's just a lot of continuing to to play the way they've been playing right now. And just at the end of the day, winning games, you know, you, you can do everything right. Sometimes you just don't end up with the result you want. And it's. Definitely a part of basketball that's something that can get on a lot of people's nerves and be frustrating, but that's just kind of where they're at right now. They need to understand that, you know, they control their own destiny. You know, we talked about the standings before I got into these reviews. They still have a chance to host. Now, it's going to take some some big wins for them for sure, but it's still there. It's still there for pretty much all four of those teams that I talked about in the top four. So each matchup is going to be very, very important. And speaking of very, very important, I thought this one by the Bobcats and Lions was an important one because I really wanted to see where the Bobcats were at. Um, obviously, again, the Lions, they're they are coming together. You know, they're, they're getting some players back. They're, they're putting in good work. And this game, to me, you know, biggest thing is the fact that the Bobcats allowed the Lions to shoot 22 free throws. And to the credit of the Lions, they made 18. That is honestly where this game stuck through through the entire four quarters. 
the Bobcats won every quarter except the final one. They lost down by one. Final score was 61 49. And so it's a very good win for the Bobcats. But if you watch that game, there were some moments where we, they were a little just not not hitting on all cylinders, you know, and it's hard. It's kind of interesting to say that when you have Sophie Van Dyke, who goes for a double double 14 11, you've got Marta Franco, who five points, 11 rebounds. But then you look at the turnovers, 23 turnovers that ties a season high for them in that department. And it's just if you do that against a lot of other teams in this conference, you are not going to win basketball games. It's just that simple. Now, when you out-rebound your opponent 49-31, it does help in, in kind of fighting back against that that turnover margin because even though the Bobcats had 23, they did force 17. That's what the Bobcats do. They are able to force a lot of live ball turnovers. You know, the 17 turnovers for the Lions, 11 of them were steals by the Bobcats. So that allowed them to feed their transition game. Biggest thing is, again, I need to see the Bobcats, you know, shooting the ball a little bit better. 39% on some good looks. And, and that's the thing. It's it's the fact that they're getting good looks are just not going in right now. So you know they're going to start falling. And when they do start falling, it's going to be a very scary thing for the Bobcats because that defense is going to stay like where, where it's been, if not get better. The, the rebounding has honestly come together. I credit Van Dyke and Paige McDonald for being able to be present, especially in the, in the interior five blocks. For the team, all five between between the two post players. So I like the way the Bobcats are playing. I'm going to be very curious for if you guys are listening to this Saturday morning for this afternoon's matchup with the Royals, which we'll get into in a little bit later. And then we go to again. I said I was going to go in order of how how important or how how much of an effect I think these games had on the overall conference. And this one, hands down, had the biggest effect. Why? Because, again, it affects the playoff seedings. Because the Kaiser Seahawks were able to beat the Southeastern Fire at home, that really switched up a lot of things in this conference. The Kaiser Seahawks may be the best team on the women's side, maybe the best team at home sometimes. Because I know there are a lot of people who might agree with me or might understand that they're up there. You know, Maybe they're not the best, but they are definitely up there. We talk about home field advantage, home court advantage. They love playing in front of their fans, the Seahawks Nation, and they feed off of that. You know, this fire team is very, very hard to beat, whether at home or on the road. You look at it, and I mentioned that the Seahawks were going to win at least one quarter in this game. They ended up winning two. That was one off. But that fourth quarter was where things opened up. 15-19 after one. 22-21 in favor of the fire after two. Third quarter, 20-16, in favor of the fire. And then 17-26, largest margin of victory in a quarter for the for the Seahawks in this game. And that ended up being the biggest deciding factor. Kiki Bergman for the fire, 20 points, 9 rebounds, throwing the double-double. She's been doing amazing. Then you've got Maya Herman, Becky, Cassidy Jones rounding out the top scores for the team. Again, the fire didn't play bad. You know, 42 rebounds, 14 turnovers, 17 assists, you know, 8 steals. They did a very good job. They shot the ball 35%. Could have been a little bit better, but that's still not bad. 25% from the three-point line, that might hurt you. 75% from the free throw line isn't, again, it's not bad. Like, there's nothing that you would point and say, mm, that is the reason you, you lost, aside from the fact that you were on the road. Like, that's really what it came down to. The Seahawks, 47 rebounds, 15 assists, 12 turnovers, doing a great job of keep, keeping, care of, uh, keeping control, valuing the possession. And, again, free throws. They lead the conference, I believe, right now in free throw attempts, free throw makes, I even think. 18 of 24, that's going to be very hard to come by. And then you shoot the ball 42%, 30 of 70. They, again, feed off that home crowd. For them, Elena Schaefer had a big, big performance, 23 points on 8 of 20 shooting, 6 of 7 from the free throw line. You have 
five players who got to the free throw line. Mo at least four of them shot three, made three or more of the uh, of their trips. Again, the Seahawks, they're going to they're going to have a home court advantage in the first round. I don't know if they're going to be able to host. Again, there's a lot that has to happen happen for that to be the case, but they're going to at least have that first round home court advantage and they are so tough to play at home. They are going to take advantage of that. I know they want to host for at least one game in the playoffs because they feel like if they do that, they're going to put themselves in a great position to win or at least go far in the conference tournament. For me, it's going to be on the road because, yeah, you're going to host that first round. How are you going to do on the road? How are you going to be able to find ways to get your offense going, get your confidence up? That's going to be a big thing for me for the Seahawks because, again, at home, they are play superb they always have that one quarter where they just somehow some way put it all together and they're getting the bounces they're getting 50 50 ball they're doing all the little things at a very high level even if the other three quarters they may lose which has happened before they have lost the other three quarters but that one quarter they had an amazing time in they had amazing 10 minutes a full 10 minutes they made the most out of it and that's what ended up winning them the game very, very important for them. And again, when you only have Julia Fitzwater have three points, I promise you it's not going to be a consistent thing for her. She's going to have better games. So for the Seahawks to be able to adjust when one of your leading scorers is having an off night, it speaks to their depth and speaks to the talent that is on this team, home or on the road. And now we're going to go to the men's side. And again, we're going to go in order of how important or how significant these games were, at least how, again, how I feel. Um, again, quick look at the standings as we stand today. The Ave Maria Gyrenes still sit number one in the conference, seven and two. St. Thomas Bobcats now hold sole possession of the second second seed at six and three. Kaiser at five and four. The Lions and Weber Warriors are now tied with four and five in the conference department. Seventeen and six are the Lions, so they hold that over the Warriors right now. They sit four, Warriors five. Southeastern is at six, also tied four and five. So we've got a three-way tie right now in the middle of the pack. And you've got the Warner Royals and Coastal Georgia Mariners at three and six, scrapping for those final playoff spots. Going to the games. We're going to start kind of how we do with the, with the women's, Coastal and Weber. Big win for the Warriors. Again, they did not have a full rotation. Tyler Nesby was not in this game, but again, Eden Holtz, 38 minutes, almost another 40-minute performance, 24 points, 8 assists, 3 rebounds on 8 of 18 shooting, 3 of 7 from the 3-point line, 5 of 7 from the free throw line. He's going to have to be putting up games like this for the next couple games until the Calvary some, somewhat arrives. Now, I did say if the Calvary were to arrive in this game, it was going to be the reason that, they, that the Warriors won. That was the case. A few more players were able to play in this game. Players logging heavy minutes. Three of the five starters had 30 plus minutes. One actually had another one had 29. So you can throw them in that department as well. So the Warriors, they're they're finding ways to win, and that's very important at this time of the year. How long it can last, I don't know. I do think they have good momentum. I do think that they're playing very good basketball right now. You have a game where you only have 12 turnovers. Compare that to the Mariners 13. Again, you're able to, to keep that relatively low. You don't get too badly out-rebounded. You know, still lose that department 35-29. I think that's going to be important for them. I think they need to rebound the basketball to really give themselves a good chance of winning basketball games as we get into the, the meat of their conference slate, or second round of it, I should say. Meanwhile, for the Mariners, I knew that it was going to be a close game. I guess one point, you can't get much closer than that. Overtime, I, I believe I even called that it was going to be an extra overtime, an extra game, extra basketball in this game they're another team 
I would I would love if we could have all eight teams on the men's side be in the conference tournament because I think it'd be great basketball in every matchup, no matter what the matchups are. Fortunately, that's not the case. So there are going to be some teams. There are going to be two teams in this conference this year who f- do not make the tournament that you could easily have seen them make the tournament. And Coastal right now, sadly, feels like one of those teams. They're, they're really talented. They play very well. It's just sometimes you fall short. And again, this is a game where you fell short. One point was the, the difference. You had Nick Giles go for 25 and six. You had Sally Wilson, 18, five and three. You then also had Katie MacArthur with 17. You had Leighton Venn with eight points and 14 rebounds. I mean, you did everything you could. You did everything you could. It comes down to just sometimes it not being your night because I'm looking at the stats and there's really nothing you can point to and say, maybe this would have been better. Maybe this would have been better. I mean, always look at turnovers. You know, technically they lost a turnover battle by one. And you might say, well, it was one possession. But yeah, but that one possession could be the difference between you losing by one and winning by one. So again, you, that's pretty much the only thing you could really say. There's not too much to take away from this. It's just a situation where two great, two good teams played. One had to win, one had to lose. Tough for that one that lost. Could be a really good thing for the one that won. I will say, I love the way they've been forcing the ball inside 38 points in this game compared to the 24 from the Warriors. The other thing I will say, if you're able to force five steals, you're going to have to try and get as many points off those turnovers as possible. Mariners only got nine. Meanwhile, the Warriors got 20. Take away 20 points on turnovers, live ball turnovers. That can be something that you definitely want to change up as the season continues. Because again, we only got five games left, I believe. So every possession is going to be valued. Every possession is important. Every quarter is important. Every game is like, I don't know how much more we can really stress it. Now, you look also look at the Warriors. Look at the shooting for them. That's where I say sometimes it's just not your night, and clearly it was the Warriors' night. 50% from the field, 51% from three, 56% from the free throw line is not too good, but 9 of 16, you know, it, it, it's definitely something I'm sure they want to have better, you know, get that at least maybe two more, three more free throw attempts fall their way. But other than that, at least in the overtime, you shoot 83% on five or six attempts. That's going to be something that you definitely are going to be happy about when you needed them the most, they were there. So again, it felt like the Warriors just took advantage of it. They had understood they had a good shooting night. They continued to ride it and they're able to now put themselves in a good position. Again, how much better it can be. It's up to them. Again, up to some other teams in the conference and their outcomes. But I like the way the Warriors are trending. How long the momentum will last is the question. Now we switch it over to Kaiser Southeastern and it feels like a lot of these teams that were a little kind of struggling at the beginning of the season, you know, I think Southeastern offensively had some some hiccups to to really, or or some bumps, I should say, to really get over. They've gotten over it. They, they've been doing very well offensively. I like the way they've been moving. 78-76, though, was the loss for them as the Seahawks were able to, to protect home court advantage. Check that home home court. For the fire, Reggie Mesador, 22 points. Sean Shore, 16 points. But that was it. No other players in the double-digit department for them. That's going to be tough. I think we've gotten to that point where, and I said, I believe, at the beginning of the year, you're going to have to have about three players in double-figure scoring, even if it's only 10 points. Again, one point. That's what separated the Mariners and the Warriors on the men's side. And who knows? If that one point would have happened, maybe things go differently. So I think you need at least three players double-figure scoring. If you can get to maybe a 20-point player, a 15-plus point player, and 12-15 to player, I think you're going to put yourself in a good position. Um, 
for the Southeastern Five, you had two players with nine points, one with eight, another with seven. So it's like you were there and just couldn't get over it. And it was tough because on the other side, for the Seahawks, you had four players double figure scoring. You had Vincent with 20 and 14, typical for him. You had Justin Nicholson, who I really liked, 18 points for him. Uh, Calvin Sermons, 17 and 10. And then you also had off the bench, Brandon Farmer with 10 points. Again, 10 points doesn't really feel like much. But when you look back at it, you say, okay, we knew what Vince was going to give us. You knew what Calvin was going to give us. If Justin has a good day, you know what he's, he can give you. Didn't bank on Brandon going for 10 points off the bench. Those are the type of players, those are the type of performances that could really sway things, not just now, but in postseason time. You also see and understand that if you are playing against Kaiser Seahawks, you're going to have to rebound the basketball at a very good clip. 30, 30 rebounds is not bad for the fire, but 44 for the Seahawks. Again, 14 from Vincent. That's the biggest thing right there. You also had nine from Jonathan Paul and then seven from Farmer off the bench. It's hard to keep them off the glass. You have to try and find a way to do it because they do it on defense and on offense. 23 offensive rebounds, second chance points, 18 for the, for the Seahawks and then 32 paint points. It's just, they do it all. The offensive rebounding, I would say, is definitely a part of their offense. You know, they have a shot, and that's why they get a lot of shots up. They want to try and crash that offensive glass as much as possible, so you definitely have to try and keep them off the board. Unfortunately, even though the fire shot 50% from the field and from the three-point line, and then 70% from the feet from the free throw line, just wasn't enough to overcome the inside presence that the, that the Seahawks are going to have on a night-to-night basis, pretty much. And now we go over to one that I really thought I had. You know, I called it. Another one that I said for sure. I know I, I remember saying that this was going to be extra time because of the way they these two teams played last time. Warner Royals, Ave Maria Jairines. Warner did it at home, almost got it, could, just fell short in overtime. Same thing happens here. The Jairines hosting the, Royal, the Royals tied after 40 minutes. After another five, it was the Jairines who came away with a two-point victory, 90-92. Just like the Mariners, I... I'm hesitant to say the Warrior, the, the Warriors, excuse me, are not going to make the playoffs because something tells me by the way they're playing and they play in so many close games. I do feel like eventually it's going to sway in their favor. They've gotten some close victories, but they've also had, I feel like, a lot more close losses. So I definitely think it's going to even out a little bit here. And I think that I just trust it a little bit more from them. 21 points for Blaze, 18 for Jamal Nurse, 15 for Logan West with 12 rebounds. Then you also have Christian Nurse off the bench, 14 points, 11 rebounds. They, they, they're coming together. They're another team that I like the way they've been playing, similar to the women's side for the Royals. I think they're playing their best basketball right now. And some of these games are just not going to go their way. It's unfortunate. But they continue on this trajectory. Again, they're 3-6 and six now. I think they have the best chance of the two teams that are looking out right now to get in. Big part of that because I wonder who is in right now that's going to fall out, and which we'll get to that in a minute. Overall, though, I like the way the Warriors, the Warriors are playing. 45 rebounds, 12 assists. like to see the ball move a little bit more, but, again, not bad in that department. 14 turnovers, 10 steals. Again, another team that's very good at playing defense, mucking it up, playing at their pace. But the same breath, even though they kind of they can play slow, they have players like Blaze Darling who love to run, who love to go up and down. Logan West is not scared of running up and down that court as a, as a post player, as a post presence to rim run and, and be a threat in that uh, in that facet. So I definitely like, that's why I say, I for some reason, I just really like the way that they're moving right now. They just, again, have to start trying to put big threes together to really give themselves the best chance possible. It's hard to do that against the Jairines, though. 92 points, again, two-point big three for them. And you have, like I mentioned, four players in double-figure scoring, similar to the, the Royals. 
just that this time the Jairines had two 20-point scores in Miles Montecourt and Jalen White, 25 and 20 respectively. We also had eight assists from White. That's a good sign for him as he actually came off the bench this game. Then you're also Jack Watkins and Michael Klenkis, 12 and, 12 and 11. Jairines do what the Jairines do. You get up 36 three-pointers, 14 of them fall. It's going to be a good enough clip for you at 38%. 31 for 72 on the, over in the field, that's 43%. Again, up with the Jairings pass. Not very characteristically of them to shoot 57% from the field. Understandable, though. Still not a bad department when you shoot 28. Definitely, though, I think I'm sure Coach wants that one to get at least 20 at 28. You know, definitely don't want to leave free ones at the line. Again, I would say that's one of the most basic things when you talk about winning basketball games at any level. Free throws. Because when you get there, first of all, you got to get there. And when you do get there, you got to make the most out of it. 49 bench points. We talk about depth. I think the Jairene's depth has always been the biggest thing for them. Again, when you have Montecourt and White who are able to come off the bench, play almost 30 minutes each, and then put up combined 45 points, it's that's 45 of the 49 bench points. So you see what, what, what I'm talking about when I say that the depth is big for them. That's something that they're going to rely on, I feel like, because offensively they can go very deep. Defensively is where, again, we that's been the, the thing with them. How are they going to be able to guard when you give 90 to the Royals, even though, again, I like how the Royals are playing, I don't know how that's going to be able to translate into the playoffs, if that makes sense. I think playoff basketball is a lot different. I think playoff basketball, you really hone in, you really lock in, and I want to see the defense get better. I do think they can't. I honestly believe the Jairines, if they're they're averaging 90 points per, per game, obviously they're going to be hard to, to beat. But something tells me, I, I feel like if they average 90 plus, they're almost more liable to get snuck up on because I feel like the other team is also going to get somewhere in that range because we've seen it happen in the past. If they're averaging between 80 and 85, though, I don't know why I feel like that number is very good because it lets me know that the Jirenes were playing defense as well. So I think that's where they're, they're going to obviously be most dangerous, offensively dangerous. Obviously, the more points you get, they've been flirting with 90 plus all year it's definitely not not a bad thing to have it's just me kind of thinking about how i i think the season is going to finish out and i mentioned before depending on how this game went i would that that peak too early take is in the bag still there the zipper was not closed because again you give up 90 to the royals no, again, the Royals are a very good team. They're a very good offensive team. We've seen them put up 90 plus. We've seen this this matchup be a, a little bit of a of a thorn in Jairine's side twice now. Could be also a playoff preview. Just throwing that out there. I still think the Jairines had to, because they were at home, I I kind of expected this to be a little bit more wide open. Um, so that's why I'm still kind of understanding I these next few games, this next game could be again some something on the on the horizon. I'm like, am I gonna are we going to say that they peaked too early? I don't think they did. I still think that they've, they're, even if they quote unquote peaked too early, I think they can hold it long enough to get to the tournament. But we'll see once that time gets there. And now I think that I've been doing a pretty decent job, you know, at being as unbiased as possible. I, everybody knows, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bobcat fan. I'm a Bobcat first on conference always. But at the same time, I'm not going to sugarcoat and I'm not going to, you know, not call it how I see it. I'm going to keep it 100. That's what I'm going to do. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. That is my job. And I want to be transparent as possible. I'm going to give you guys my opinion. With that being said, I haven't really shown my navy and white at all this season. But that's about to change. Because 
the St. Thomas Bobcats at the beginning of the year started 0-2, lost to the Florida Memorial Lions at home in a, in a nail-biter, you know, car crash of a three-minute game really down the stretch. You know, started out 0-2. They were not they were not able to get above 500. Then you lose to the Jirenes. And, 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 and there was definitely, again, and just so everybody remembers, they were my pick on the men's side to finish, to win the regular season title and the conference tournament. Like I, I, I was gonna go with the sweep. I'm, I'm doing that, and that hasn't changed. I've never gone off that pick. The season has broken up where the Jirenes were the best team at the beginning of the year. They were the best offense, one of the best offenses in the NAIA. Like, like they, they were, they were that good. We've gotten past the midway point now. Uh, the Seahawks kind of spread up a little bit there. They had some good games in a row, but ladies and gentlemen. The St. Thomas Bobcats are playing the best basketball of anybody right now in the conference. They are. They are now on a four-game winning streak. They have handled business the way they're supposed to. The Bobcats are back. The Bobcats, I'm not going to say back. The Bobcats are here. Because I'll be honest with you, and I'm fairly safe to say that they will agree with this. They never got here. Again, you lose to the Mariners at home or on the road. You lose to the Lions two of your games that you just didn't play that well in is flat out against the Royals. When they won their first game in the conference, I still think they felt like they could have played better, but now this team has figured it out and they are looking as dangerous as ever. You go into the lion's den, the number 17 team in the nation. They obviously feed off the crowd. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Florida Memorial Lions, a lot of a lot goes into their offense, but the main thing they are at the core is an energy team. They feed off highlight plays. They feed off their home crowd. They do a very good job of it. So there's some teams out there that just can't do that. They can't do that, or they can't do it at such a high level. The Lions can't. And I was there for that game. I, I I watched the game. I watched the entire 40 minutes. It was I I said it before on the on the preview show. It was going to be a car crash of just nonstop action. And that's what it was. That's what it was. And I credit both the Bobcat fans that came out and the Lions fans for creating that environment. It was a playoff atmosphere. Like, that's what it was. That's what it was. Back and forth to start the game. And then, I'll be honest with you, the Lions threw the first clear punch. The first run came from the Lions. They came from the Lions. They were up by 11. I believe the largest lead for the Lions was actually... I'm going to get that number for you guys right here. I want to be Yes, it was 11. I knew it was 11, but I wanted to make sure it was 11. That was the largest lead for the for the bucket for the Lions. Excuse me. And I saw that and I thought to myself, okay, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do in these next that the final time that that eight that eleven point run was at eight thirty eight in the first half, and then the Avalanche came, and then the Bobcats showed everybody in the conference. The scariest thing, they figured something out. I would say, again, they figured it out. They are playing the best basketball. They are the best team right now. Could they, Will they be the best team in the final at the end of the regular season? I don't know yet. I'm not looking that far ahead. I'm talking about right now, they are the best team in the conference because they are playing the best basketball right now. Again, four-game winning streak and two of them over playoff teams. Two of them are a playoff team. At Kaiser, you beat them 193 in what I thought was their best game of the season up until this Lions game. Up until this Lions game. 
And after that game, I could have, you know, gone on here and gone a little, you know, over dramatic with it, be honest with you, and been like, oh, Bobcats figured it out. And I didn't want to do that because I wanted to see it be consistent. I wanted to see them continue to do it. You then beat the Weber Warriors at home handedly. You then start second round of conference playoff, second time around the sun, avenging that loss to the Mariners. And then this one. Again, down 11 with eight minutes left. The Bobcats at the beginning of the year, I don't know. I'm not going to say I don't know if they come back because I feel like they would have come back and made it a game. But I don't know if they would have come back the way they did and how fast they did. When I tell you that I blinked and the Bobcats had tied the game up, I remember the sequence like it was yesterday. It was 11 points, and here comes a Jordan Hernandez three. Here comes a curious one dunk. Multiple technical fouls by the Lions, which they pretty much put themselves in, 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 in a tough position with that. And then a Jordan Hernandez and one. And before you know it, the Bobcats had tied the game and then took the lead back. This team, again, they're playing the best because I see what Coach Pat and the staff envisioned at the beginning of the year. And I think the best way or the best person that can summarize this is actually Josh Taylor in this specific game. Because I think it was his best game and his worst game of the season. And I'm explaining why. For 32 minutes, it was the worst game of the, se- of the season. That, that's what it was. You know, he had four fouls. He wasn't able to get any type of offense going. It just didn't look, it wasn't working for him. It was an off night. It happens. It happens. He's been playing tremendous. You're going to have an off night. It happens. But for eight minutes, for eight minutes with four fouls, he played the best because mentally you saw a different change. He did not let the game get to him. And that is how I feel like the Bobcat season has gone so far. They were hit with adversity at the beginning. They dealt with it. They moved past it. And now they have realized just how good they can be, and they're putting it all together. And I also say that because in that stretch, once he went back in the second half towards the end, he went on a 10-0 run by himself. By himself. Biggest takeaway, Coach Pat was calling the plays for him. This team was feeding him the ball until the hot hand cooled off and he eventually fouled out. Like seeing that lets me know just how far this team has come. And now they are hitting on all cylinders. Same thing I can talk about depth with the Jireens. You got to talk about it with the Bobcats. Because again, Josh Taylor is a 20-point scorer. Josh Taylor, you can pencil him in for about 20 a game. Like that, that's what he's going to do. Not tonight. Who was going to step up? You know who did? Anthony Harris. Earned the nickname Ant-Man because he came up big. 25 points on 8 of 9 shooting, 5 of 5 from the 3-point line, 4 4 of 5 from the free throw line, 3 rebounds. He was doing everything for them coming off the bench. He was the spark plug that ignited that comeback. That honestly didn't even ignite the comeback. That kept the Bobcats in the game for the long haul. That was what really kept the Bobcats moving into it. Daniel Agoro. Solid game, handling the ball. Five assists, only two turnovers. And then, of course, I think, and again, and some people are going to disagree with me. It's fine. And this might not be a hot take. And I'm sure somebody out there is going to agree with me when I say this. They are the best shooting duo in the conference. Shooting. Because whether they're one for nine, which Milton was in this game, 
or six for 13, which is what Jordan was in this game, you're going to respect them like they're 20 for 20. And we also understand that no matter how off Milton might be, he's still going to get to 18 or 20 points a game, which is what he did this game. He's still going to find ways to affect the game, which is what he did in this game with six rebounds. And the biggest thing that I've also seen for this Bobcat team, Jordan Hernandez has stepped into that role of being that good of an offensive player. When I'm seeing him not just spot up, come off down screens, but I'm talking about he's coming off ball screens, stop and pop. He's shooting the ball from five feet behind the line. He's confidently going to the basket and making plays for others. That lets me know just how locked in he is. And one of the leaders of this team, one of the returners from last year, and I did feel like there was going to be a growing period because when Josh Taylor comes back, you got you to adjust for him. He's that good of a player. And even though he wasn't adjusting from the perimeter, it's still an adjustment for Jordan, for Milton, for, for Daniel, for Ant, for all these guys. But Jordan, I think, has found that niche that works for him. He's had a very good stretch of games now. He's had a very good aggressive mindset that I think is very important for them to be successful. But the biggest thing that I'm going to always harp on is defense. I'm a firm believer in that. I don't care how many points you average. You have to get a stop to win a championship. It's that simple. Even if the guy misses, it's still a stop. Who can get that stop? There's, to my knowledge, no defensive player of the year award, or there might be. I'm, I'm not fully aware of it. But if there isn't, even if there is, if Kyrus Warren doesn't win by unanimous decision, I, I, don't, I don't know what else to, to really talk about. He only had five points. But when I tell you he probably had the most impact on this game because he had 18 rebounds and seven blocks. And the biggest thing is just how much he enjoys that. He doesn't care if he only has five points. He doesn't care if he only shoots the ball three times. You know why? Because he enjoys getting seven blocks. I'm going to start calling that man ADT because he was protecting his house like nobody's business. He put the Lions offense inside the paint. In a in the King Penitentiary, he was sending shots back left and right. He was protecting the paint, and it was the most impressive thing I've ever seen up close. No matter what, it was a dunk attempt, a, a rebound, a play, no matter what. He was always there, and if he, and I promise you, for every block that he had, he had at least double that in shots altered or shots affected. And then again, 18 rebounds. 18 rebounds. This Bobcat team is, again, playing the best basketball right now. They've been playing the best. They are the hottest team in the sun. Now it's about continuing it. You've got a good chance here to host a tournament because you still got the Jirens, you still have the Seahawks, and you can handle business. This team is looking dangerous. This team is looking at like the team that we all thought they were going to look like at the beginning. The other day, this is a playoff team. They're they are preparing for the playoffs and. I talked about the Jairines possibly peaking early. I don't think so. The Bobcats never peaked early. And they are starting to, and they're not, they're not peaking now because they're moving up. I see plenty of, of, of time for this team to get it going again. In a game where Josh Taylor only played eight minutes and they win by 33 on the road at, at Florida Memorial. That's, that's crazy. That shows me just how far this team has come in a short time, really. Again, four-game winning streak. The Bobcats are here, folks. The Bobcats are here. With that said, I called this game a possible catapult for whoever wins it. 
and a possible look back for whoever loses it. The Lions, it was a tough game. It was a tough game. You know, you only had one player scoring double figures. That's Darius Ward. Again, they threw the first punch. They threw the first punch and they did everything they could. They mucked it up. 41 rebounds. And it was only a two-rebound margin. They they were able to take advantage of the Bobcats getting in foul trouble early. You know, 16 of 25 for them. But to shoot 19 of 64 from the field. 3 of 17 from 3. 29% from the field. 29%. 17 from the three-point line. And then, like I mentioned before, the technical fouls. You had three players with a technical foul and two that were given to the team in general. It's not gonna. It's just not how it's gonna be done against anybody. You're giving them free points, and again, the Bobcats were shot forty free throws. They were twenty eight for forty. That is where the game became a thirty point blowout. That that is where the Bobcats took advantage. You cannot give anybody in this conference. 40 attempts from the free throw line. It's just not going to work. And especially a team that's got, again, Jordan Hernandez and Milton Matthews and Daniel Goro and Anthony Harris, who all shot only, who all shot a combined, quick math right here, 23 free throws between the three of them. Between the three of them alone. That's just not going to work. This is not, you know, I've talked about the, the, Peaked early game. Reagan's talked about the, the panic button for the Warriors certain times this year. I don't think the panic button is, is in play for the Lions. But I am a little concerned. Because you haven't been really playing the best basketball of the recents. I feel like they're on the opposite end of the spectrum in, in, in Miami Gardens. Because, you know, you had the big one against the Jireens. That was huge. Huge. I thought, oh, could the Lions have figured something out? But then... To start losing games that I just don't know what to make of them. You know, yeah, you beat the Royals, but it was 84-75. wasn't the best game. You you then, before that, you lose to the Seahawks by four. And before that, you beat the Fire, but only by nine. And before that, you lose to the Warriors. So now you're, so again, you lose to the Warriors. You lose to the Seahawks, lose to the Bobcats. You're now two and three in your last five. Again, I've been up, I've been keeping a hundred all year, and I'm going to keep it a hundred. It's it's getting that time. You got to figure it out. Could this have just been an off night? Absolutely. But just like everybody's entitled to an off night, there's some nights you just can't afford to have an off night, and this was one of them. You can have an off night next game. You can have an off night game after that. But against your rival, against the team that you knew the Bobcats were coming into the Lions then to try and avenge that loss that they had at the beginning of the year. You knew it. If you if you wanted to, to, to really send a message and say that, yeah, we might have been struggling, you know, playing 500 in the last four or what it might be. But we're here. We got it. Don't worry about it. You come out and at least if you lose this game, you cannot lose by 33 points. You just can't. You just can't. Still playing a season left. The Lions are still in the playoff hunt. They're still going to be one of the one of the teams to, to look out for in the conference tournament. This is, again, the panic button is nowhere in sight, but I know where it is. 
There's plenty of teams actually that I know where the panic button is. Because put it in perspective, there's going to be a team who loses in the first round who shouldn't have lost. There's going to be a team who makes it to the second round who some people thought wasn't going to make the second round. Like th- th- that's going to happen. There's going to be some upsets in this playoff that I don't. I know me. I'm not ready for it. Reagan's not ready for it. I'm. I don't even know if you guys are ready for it. This is going to be a very fun Saturday afternoon because I've definitely ran longer with these pre- with these reviews because again I, I definitely wanted to give time to to certain aspects of it. So I'm going to try to keep these previews as short and quick as possible. For the women's side, Ave Kaiser, talk about a big one. That's my game of the day for the women's side. Winner of that takes sole control of the third seed, of the second of the third seed. Yeah. I'm going to go with oh, this would be a tough one for me. I'm gonna go with the Gyrenes. Because I want to see the Seahawks improve just how good on the road they can be. So I'm going to go with the Gyrenes. But this could be a big game for the Seahawks if they're able to take this one on the road. Coastal Florida Memorial, big one here because one of these teams can take advantage of this of this game to stay in the mix for the sixth seed. I'm going to go with the Coastal Georgia Mariners because they've been on a here the past two games, and I think that continues at home. I'm going to leave it at that. I think that I think this is this is a big one for the Mariners. Then you got the Bobcats and Royals. This is an interesting one because the Bobcats, they've been playing very good. They can be playing better. They've been playing very good. The Royals have been playing their best basketball this season. I don't think the Bobcats have played their best yet. They've had stretches or they've had games, but I don't think they've played their best yet because I think they just they just have that much more or that that high of a, of a ceiling. So that, that's where that comes from. So they ought to be very mindful of this Royal team coming in here and trying to get an upset. Could be maybe a, the biggest upset of the season. I'm not gonna go that far. I think the Bobcats take care of business. I still think they want they need to. I think this is a need game, which is a little crazy to think, but I think it's a need game because of just what's down the pipe. And then Southeastern Weber, I'm gonna go with Southeastern, you know, again, the Warriors. If they can muster up some type of offense they they, they did last game, sure, I give them a chance. Puncher's champ. But the Southeastern Fire team is just it's just you're going to need more than a puncher's chance to really do it. You're going to need some some type of off night from the fire or some type of unbelievable night from your from your team. So it's going to be a tough one for the Warriors, so that's why I got the, the fire. For the men's side, I'm looking at these games, and again, I'm sticking with Aved Kaiser as the game of the day. Actually, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go close to a floor memorial, and this is why. This is the game that you think the Lions should win, and, and I have them winning. I have them winning this game. But the Coastal Georgia Mariners are not going to let it be an easy one. They are not going to go down quietly. They will come with everything in the kitchen sink because they feel like they could have had that last one. They feel like they should have had that last one. I'm sure they do. Anybody would. The Lions need this one. And I mean, they need a dominant one. They need to get that 33-point taste out their mouth. I think they will. What's the score going to be? That I don't know. But I think they'll get the dub. That's the important thing they need right now. Back to that Kyler Dyrene's game. Big one for both teams. I'm actually going to go with the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are going to take this one from the Dyrene's. It'll be a huge one because that brings everything into play here when we talk about seeding. So the Seahawks have a chance to really throw a monkey wrench into this conference yet again. Good game. Tough game. I do know the Dyrene's are probably deeper, but I think the 
the Kaiser Seahawks, they're they're gonna get it done. They're gonna get they're gonna figure out a way. I think Vince is gonna have a big game. I think Calvin's gonna have a big game. I think the shooting around them is gonna be big. So I'm gonna give it to them because I also trust their defense a little bit more than Jairine's. But that's just me right now. St. Thomas Warner gonna stick with the Bobcats. Similar to the Lions, though, I don't think and nor do I believe that they are riding some type of high after the Lions, after being the Lions. With that being said, though, this Royals team is definitely coming hungry because second time now that they're going to be playing the Bobcats after losing to the Jairines in overtime by a possession. So they're going to come in looking to avenge that. Last time they played at Lake Wales, it was only a two-point game, might have been a four-point game. So it wasn't like it was an easy one for the Bobcats. I am ex- also, but I'm also expecting a JT bounce back. Mark my words. I think he's got at least 20 in him, maybe more, but at least 20. Probably even will get double-double. That's just that's just me. That's just me me trying to trying to project a little bit here. Meanwhile, for the Warriors in Southeastern, I'm gonna go with the Warriors. You know, they they just got their first road victory of the season of the conference. I mean, I I, I should word that correctly. Let me, let me double check this real quick. Yeah, they got their first road win of their of the conference season. So congrats to them for that. Big one for them. Couldn't they go? Now use that momentum to get a home to get a big home court home court win. We've seen this team now three times with their backs against the wall respond. They did it against Florida Memorial. They did it just now against the Coastal Georgia Mariners. Because again, you might say, "Oh, well, they were favorites." Yeah, they were favorites, but it's on the road, and we've seen them not be able to do to do well on the road. And to be fair, it did take overtime, so it wasn't like it was an easy one for the Warriors. Overall. I think the I think the Warriors again. I always like picking up saying I'm going to go with this one. I, I I'm going I'm to go with this one. I think the Warriors figure out again, not knowing who's playing, who's not playing. I think Eden Holt's been on a heater. I think he's been doing very well, playing heavy minutes, but performing. And at the end of the day, he's going to keep playing those heavy minutes. So I think he's got at least a three game stretch. This will be the third game in a row where he plays those heavy minutes and is able to perform after that then we gotta start talking about conditioning and, and and all that other stuff but for right now talking about tonight or this afternoon warriors are gonna beat the fire gonna be a close one could be another extra time one if that's the case i might even go back to the fire and if it's extra time just because i wonder if the warriors can really sustain that for an extra five but even still i'm going with the warriors in a big big win for them against the fire i said it wednesday say it again the next couple days, Saturday, Wednesday, like the next couple days is going to be some of the biggest when we talk about playoffs because we're going to see playoff previews, guys. Like we're watching them in our eyes. We could easily see the Royals against the Bobcats, the Warriors against the Fire, the Seahawks against the Gi- Like we could all see these matchups. There is still a chance that any team is able to do it. Again, let's look at the standings. There are plenty of... We've got seven and two for Jairine, six and three for the Bobcats, five and four for the Seahawks, and then three teams tied with four and five and two with three and six. This conference is not done. They're going to continue to give us some of the best basketball we've seen here in the sun in a in a, I don't even for, for me in, in my time here. I don't know. I'm not going to go past them for four years. I'm not going to pretend I, I've been following forever. But they have been doing some unbelievable stuff. So I do want to take this time to just give the flowers to every team in the conference for going out and just performing night in and night out, whether on the home, whether at home, on the road, against a rival, against a non-arrival, whatever the case is, extra time, game winner, whatever it is. Credit to you all out there for putting on such a 
amazing and just masterclass of a performance so far. And we look forward to the rest because we went through the first half. We went through the first quarter. Great. The sequel, amazing. We're in for a historic trilogy. And I promise you that fourth movie is going to be better than the first three. So be ready. Same thing on the women's side. Plenty of games that could, you know, in their case, we kind of know who the six teams are for the most part. For the most part. And Coastal is definitely going to have something to say about that. But for the most part, we know. But I think on the women's side, it's more about not who makes it, but where teams finish. Home court is going to be a thing. I just messing with the Seahawks. Right now, they are not on home court side. But they can very well be after tonight, after this, after this afternoon, against the Jirene, who they are tied with right now. So don't don't get it twisted, folks. Men's, women's, whatever it is. If you can set up three screens, four screens to watch all the games, please do so. Please do so because you will not be disappointed in yourself or in your decision making for that case. With that being said, again, sorry if this one ran a little bit long. Really wanted to had a lot get off my chest, but appreciate Reagan for giving me the time to do the solo. And with that, we're gonna kick it over now to Reagan and Steve to talk a little bit of Sun Baseball. Enjoy the game this afternoon. Enjoy all the Sun Conference action, and I'll see y'all in the next one. All right, we're going to talk a little Sun Conference baseball. Look, y'all know where we're staying on how we feel about Sun Conference, but we're pretty confident. We're pretty confident. We're pretty confident in this season. Mr. Stephen Cullen, excellent, excellent. And for, you know, everybody's underway. Got to be real happy with the way the conference is look, looking right now and some non-conference play. Yeah, no, dude. I mean, all the teams are actually looking really good right now. Southeastern's dominant, of course. Weber, the boys took four, so – that's a good look. <laughs> buzzing. Boys are buzzing. Boys are buzzing. Uh, St. Thomas didn't look bad either. Robin's – I mean, I think Robin's going to have a good year too. Oh, Robin's what, uh, year I remember, there. I remember uh, a couple months ago uh, they had the opening round for – it was soccer, football, and volleyball on the same day. I went down to St. Thomas to do coverage there, and I saw Robin. He was working at the soccer game. And talking with him, I mean, he, he looked good. They they – uh, they're going to be good, and they had a really good showing out west, along with some other teams in the conference. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, another team that, or not another team, but another guy that stepped up this weekend. I know, I just kind of we're talking about it before we started recording. Was uh, Gary? Gary looked really good out, out yeah. west this year. But I mean, that's that's no shocker though. I mean, that's the same Gary Laura, come on, come <laughs> on. I mean, huge, yeah, huge day against uh, Benu Mesa where he went two for five, home run, triple. When did he get wheels like that? Dude, I, I, I saw the triple, man, and I was dying. I was on. That might be his first chance career. He's got a lot of home runs, a lot of hits at Southeast, but that might be his first triple. I need to get video. I didn't see, see it all. I, just, I was like, we sure he got, got triple there? But, yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> sick. But, yeah, an, another guy for the fire, dude, Josh Pagozo. I mean, he's looking like the guy in this in this lineup. Of course, there's a lot of guys in, in the lineup. But right now, just in the, the first, uh, you know, first few games for the fire, Pagozo, man, I mean, he's, he's swinging the bat tremendous. Dude, he was good last year. I knew he was going to be good this year. I mean, he's he's a stud, man. Like, he's – He's a quiet dude. He just shows up to the field, gets his job done, does his work, and goes about his business the right way. So I'm glad he's popping off this year and getting to see, like, a full good season of Pagoza. That's going to be fun. 
Yeah, so the only real like polls or anything that have come out um, as far as rankings are the NAI ball media polls. Really cool thing they're doing. They got, I think, like 12, 13 media members that are voting on that. All four or three of the four Sun Conference teams that were in the top 25 move up. Obviously, Southeastern State uh, won. All 12 first place votes went to them, especially especially after what uh, they did out West. But Weber moved from 10 to 5. A couple of teams in that top 10 fell. So, a little bit of thanks to the fire. Uh, and, and Ave, yeah. we'll talk about taking care of some of those teams ahead of Weber. They moved up to 5, had Ave Maria move up to 14. And they see the biggest jump, St. Thomas moving up uh, 25 to 17. You talked about uh, Robin's looking good. A lot, a lot, a little bit more, more surefire in the pitching staff. Polo uh, has got a strong arm, and he's going to be buzzed around mid nineties. He's got to throw some more strikes. Uh, did have a little yeah. trouble with the walk, but you know, first couple of games, going to have that. Maybe a little nerves going into it, but if they can get get a really strong arm, and you you know, playing against them, I always felt like they just have one or two more like strong arms. They have the lineup that could be with you know, Weber. Southeastern, but especially last year, and we saw in the opening round two years ago, they need a little bit more depth. I think they've added that. They're going to be real dangerous this year. No, 100%, man. I mean, St. Thomas, like, they're, like, historically they've been the best team in the conference for years. I mean, I think it was my first year at Southeastern. That was the first year we ever beat one of a series against them. So, I mean, they've always been good. Like, you know, they have a, a history of being good. But, yeah, it's those arms. Like, if they got the two more, three more arms – that's when they could really jump from like that 17 to being a top 10 team. Yeah. Look at another team really did well out West. Ave Maria Francesco had a really big game against Arizona Christian with two long balls. That guy, he, he, he knows how to pimp a swing a little, little bit too. I know yeah. you're like, yeah, I love it. I love it. Now, nah, man, we talked about it last week about how like people kind of slept on Ave and like, they went out there and they proved themselves again. Like they're not a bad ball club, dude. And they're only going to keep getting better as the season goes on. Looking at uh, the games that I were, I was at this this weekend here in Polk County at a little little round robin style tournament. Weber and Warner, great showings uh, against the Cumberland Phoenix. Went six and zero against uh, against right. Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah. We four and zero. We 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 got two and uh, four and zero against. Uh, we, yeah, real quick math there. It's early in the morning. <laughs> Weber went two and zero. Warner went two and zero against the Phoenix. Weber took both against Warner. Got to talk about Weber first, man. I mean, just just looking at what's back from Weber. Uh, I want to start there and who's I, I think looks a lot better. Got to start with Tyron Milliner. I mean, a whole. Oh, that was the first game I was going to say. That was oh. the first game I was going to say. Dude, his swing, you know, he, he had a decent swing last year, but this year looks so much better. Uh, I think he's a lot more comfortable in that DH role. Saw him at third base, made a good couple good plays over there in the first game Saturday against Cumberland. I think that DH role is somewhere he can really uh, fit in well. Dude, I mean, two just tanks. The first one, well, I had a little bit, little bit of hesitation in the call, but that second one, Party mode. Soon as it it went off, <laughs> it, it, it ain't it ain't bad. You start your season off two for two, uh, with two home runs, and then um the next game that uh the the next day against Cumberland, almost had two more. One to the warning track, and one he hit about four hundred twenty five feet. But uh, you you know you know at Warner they have like that that kind of holding pond kind of like yeah. past foul ball. It landed well well <laughs> into that. We saw ripples, and we were like, he straightens that out a little bit more. That'd be three on the weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's certainly up for uh, player of the week, and he has some good base knocks, a couple of walks. Um, another guy that that's back that 
I think is playing a version of himself that we've seen at times, but it looks more consistent. It feels more consistent with Richard Rodriguez at shortstop. Man, he's making yeah. big – he made us an – he turned – he was part of a 6-4-3 double play. Uh, coming in middle infield, bobbled it with a funny bounce on the heel of his glove, grabbed, throwed uh, to Gabby, who's playing a really good second base. Man, looking good for Weber. Newcomer, newcomer wise, man, <laughs> I better remember the name Ryan Riccio. Ryan Riccio, he's going to yeah, be. I saw, I saw he popped off a little bit this week. He popped off. Uh, uh, he had a big home run in the top of the ninth against Warner uh, to get give us a little bit of cushion there. And then, uh, you know, now, he, is, he, is he a freshman or did he transfer? He's transfer. Um, oh, gosh, where did he? I want to. I know it, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. I want to say it's uh, – I want to say he transferred from Daytona, but don't hold me to that. But he's a JUCO transfer, yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, I got to talk pitching. Pitching-wise, Huter looked great. I like Matthews. Um, Dylan um, was – he had good – Dylan looked good. He just hung to in Cumberland. You, you know that Cumberland-Phoenix line will do. They ain't – Yeah, they don't, no, they don't yeah. Miss much. Hung a couple, they didn't miss, but he looked good. But what really saved us in game one, pitching-wise, and who I thought was probably our best arm other than maybe Huter because he had a great op opening day start against Warner. My boy Seth Lovell out of the bullpen, three and a third, seven Ks. Slider looked phenomenal. Two, uh, change up sinker. We're running off each other. And you give that big slider. Yeah, you you, you know plays. what that sounds like. Yeah, that plays. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked. He got the win on opening day. Good for him. Uh, Ian Kalman looked look solid as well. But, um, you know, for Warner, um, look, they – honestly, they played Cumberland better than Weber just as far, far as, like, how they – you know, I don't want to say play them better. That's not right. But they beat them better, beat them by more runs. There we go. Got it Got it together. Then <laughs> Weber did. Uh, Noah Harsh looked really good on opening day. He had a, a solid performance uh, for them. I'll tell you what I like about Warner, dude. They're not afraid to swing that bat. Now, you, you know it about the like they're they're gonna swing the bat and if they you, never have been, bro. Like they're they're gonna go out there and like they're I mean, they haven't been the top of the conference in the past couple of years. Or my sure. first year, they weren't bad at all. I think they were well two like, years right ago, at, like opening round. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. My first year, but um they're never like that big team that everyone's like, oh, be afraid of them. But like when you play them, all the games like are games. Like you don't just sit yeah. there and blow them out. So like they're they're one of those games that's uh they're scrappy and they play and they swing. They have a lot of grit to them. I like Sedano at the top of the top of the lineup. I mean, he's gonna be, I think, one of the top outfielders, top uh top uh leadoff hitters in the conference this year. I mean, I just talked about Blaine Huter had a great outing and he did, but first A B of the game, uh Sedano leadoff triple. I mean scorched one into left center field and he's got a ton of speed. He's gonna be a problem yeah. for pitchers behind the plate, but Overall, I was really impressed by uh, by Weber. Um, obviously, southeastern, southeastern again, and Ave Maria. Darian's a dog. Oh gosh, how are we not talk about Darian Smith? How you doing? Hope, <laughs> Hope International. That we talked about earlier. Weber, a uh, little thank you to Southeastern for first beating some teams to to move up. He did that against Hope International. What was it? Seven seven innings, one run ball, just shut them down. He's good, man. He's good. He's good <laughs> like it's I mean he was good last year too but like you could tell he's finally kind of getting his craft all together now like everything's really starting to click for him I feel like and I, I feel like he's just going to keep getting better and better 
Yeah, we got to get he's going he's going to be on the pod real soon. Um I, I honestly it's just on me. I got to reach out to him. I got and and get him on, but I yeah. I think that race between him, I mean, Rob too, um and then with the two guys at Weber and Martin and obviously Huter, but I look I look you know, mostly right now just from this weekend and from what, what I've seen last year. I look at that race between Darian and Huter. That could be one of the best pitcher Southern Conference pitcher of the year races. We could be in line for that just early. No, it's early. Don't know how these guys will. You, you Super never, early, but man, like when you got I'm two dudes like it. that. Sure. Yeah, when you got two dudes like that, man, it's 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 fun to watch because like yeah, it's, it's always fun to sit there and bang balls around the yard all day. But like games where it's like both pitchers are going head to head, everyone's locked in. Like you can't beat those games. Like a three to two ball game. Like remember. Speaking of, of a three to two ball game, remember last year one of the best games in conference last year was that game three Weber versus versus Southeastern Danny Batcher Dylan Martin just out there absolutely yeah, shoving. I don't know, yes. Then Reese that came out of the bullpen or uh, maybe Bill after that, and then uh, for us had Dawson Dawson Young come out shove and you know just came down that that last day B. I mean that was a phenomenal phenomenal game. Yeah, I mean dude that that game that had me on. Because last year I got a DH the whole time, so I got to just sit there on the edge of my seat and just watch everything happen, then go up there, you know, about four times a game. But yeah, no, that game was that game was sick, man. That was a lot of fun. I mean, I'm glad I know I know we wish it would have ended two different ways, but you know, it was a fun game. You know, and I, I'll say this: I've gotten, I've consistently gotten better at better and staying at like keeping it very as neutral as can be. For sure. But when I saw that ball fly over that center field fence, I was like, oh my God. Because okay. you know the day before, I mean, y'all kicked our teeth in. I mean, it, it, like, it, it was two two run rules. I was like, if we can get one th- this weekend, that would, you know, get that. And like felt it there. Soon as that, soon as uh, I don't remember who it was, soon as whoever it was got that base knock. And I was just like, I know I've seen this. I've seen this so many times. I was actually just of course, talking. of course, Pagoso, man. Who who else? I was actually just talking about how y'all do that. Uh, I was talking uh, with uh, Richie just like not even twenty minutes ago about Tennessee Wesleyan two years ago. Uh, who who was the guy? Who was a two way player for that? He hit like he threw like ninety five and hit like thirty bombs. Renoso, bro, he threw a hundred and hit like thirty three home runs. Yeah, <laughs> dude insane. was like a creative player. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, bro. He was nuts. He was nuts. Yeah. I mean, and then how how did that bottom then or how did that that game like what was the complete sequence of that game? Because I can't remember all, all the names and everything. Towards the end like of that the bottom game. the bottom of the ninth. I remember like, Gary I remember Gary had 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 uh, tied it up, correct? Gary hit a yeah, this was in the tenth. So Gary yeah. hit a bloop single with two outs, two strikes. Right. Got Dewey in. Then we go to the bottom of the tenth. I let off the inning with a walk. I get to first. I get to second on a pass ball. And then I'm sitting out here. I hear time get called. I'm kind of like looking around. I'm like, all right, whatever. And I see Dinkle telling me, come in. We got a pinch runner. I was like, all right. Yeah. So right I look good. up. Is, is Drew Gillespie running for me? I yeah. was like, oh, I was like, I was like, Dink, what are we, what are we doing? Like, you, just, you have no faith in me at all to run. And sure enough, uh, Shamir came up. I think maybe another yep. pass ball, like a sack fly or something. But Drew got to third, and then Shamir walked it off, and the rest is history, man. But, yeah, <laughs> Drew Gillespie was running out there. I've never seen a happier person in my life. 
Yeah, I bet. Gosh, I that's one part I don't I didn't I didn't really remember Gillespie coming in to run to run. You remind me of that that was and then Panda walking it off, which great. God, that's funny. That's funny. But um, yeah, something you you mentioned earlier last year, Steve. You were make sure my batteries are good. Yeah, we're chill. We're chilling. Um, uh, something you mentioned la uh you did last year was you moved kind of more of that first at first base. You did more DHing. I talked about that with Todd potentially move, moving into that. Do you think that really helped you kind of hone in on on your hitting? I I think last year was probably your your, your best year uh hitting wise. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. I mean, yeah, for me, man, like especially like I was getting older, I definitely felt it like my body hurt every day. So the days I was just kind of sitting there hitting like that definitely had gave me a second to get my thoughts about me because I'm a big thinker. Like when I'm playing, like I, I like to like think about my swing like the whole game. So if I have one bat at bat, I can come in there, figure out everything else and then go up there with that, like another game plan. So DH and helped me a lot. You just have to learn how to do it and stay warm. Like that was my big thing. I would pace a lot. I'd go down to the left field fence. I'd always keep my body moved. It's easy to get cold, especially right. when you're DH. Yeah, I like I, it's, uh, I, I like a lot for Millie. Um, if he if he settles in that role, I, no, if he if I he settles biggest, down in DH role and like learns it, he could be he could be something serious. I think the biggest difference in this year's Weber team than my my last two years covering them, I truly think there's going to be like three four guys that are excellent college baseball players, excellent, excellent college baseball players that are just going to, you know, going to be missing. I mean, I mean, it's what Southeastern's had the last, you know, several years, that depth. Right. Like I see a true depth in this team and just a little bit, I won't say more focused. The team's always been focused. They've always been, I mean, you, you don't, you're, you're not a consistent top 25 team without being consistently being focused and everything, but there's a good vibe, good vibes around the Weber ba baseball team. I'll just say that. That's good, man. That's good. I mean, they, they, they've been a team since I've been there. It's just like each year, it's just better and better and better. And it's yeah. like each year, like, all right, these boys actually, like, they're starting to do a little something over there. And that's obviously helps with recruiting now. Now the fact y'all getting better and better and better, more people want to come to Weber, more people want to transfer to Weber. So, right. I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit with y'all. I mean, I think, like, this conference is only growing. So, like, yeah, because, I mean, especially for years, it's just been Southeastern. Like, Southeastern is the team to beat. Now, if there's, like, a Southeastern or Weber in there, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Kaiser, Kaiser had their years. St. Thomas had their had their years. Yeah. For sure. And then, and then Dinkle got to Southeastern, and things kind of started. Right. <laughs> that didn't got there, and it was it was game over after that. Yeah, but um, no, it, it's it's crazy. As uh, D Dylan was over, we were grilling a little chicken out by the pool, and Dylan said it is kind of crazy to uh, think about like just not being a part of those like just non top twenty five Weber teams to now showing up number five in a media poll. I'm like, yeah, that is crazy. That is crazy. But yeah. um, no, think um, about the kids like eight, nine, or I guess men now, but eight, nine years ago, they're probably looking back going, man, like, why, why could we just be this good? <laughs> uh, I mean, and honestly, it comes a testament to Colin, man. I mean, Colin, yeah, I mean, no, 100%, 100%. everybody knows his background. He's a fantastic, fantastic uh, baseball manager, baseball coach, and, He's got a great, great staff. I mean, talked about Pat, uh, Pat Borders, uh, with with Blaine him coming there. I mean, that's, you know, World Series MVP, not too bad. I mean, get having that yeah, added to, to, <laughs> to the staff. I mean, it's a good staff. I'm, like I said, I'm excited to watch watch them. And you know, as far as far as the rest of the conference, I can't be happier. I mean, even Kaiser a little bit bit of uh, uh bumps this weekend against Grace, but still, they had a really good start against uh. Mm -hmm. 
Bruton Parker, and I think they'll continue to roll. They honestly, everybody looks better. Everybody just looks yeah. better this year. But all right, uh, Steve, you got any, anything else before we send the people on to the weekend? Nah, man, I think we covered it, dog. Good deal. A lot of great games this weekend. We're going to talk about about them on Monday. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.